That is not Herb Alpern, the two one of brass. That is once again Joe Dassan's Champs Elysees. Uh, in part because the host of this podcast is still in France. Uh, also in part because the file for that music uh, happened to be most readily accessible. Uh, but uh, I continue. Uh, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly appearance, is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave. Dave Cameron is his name, continues to be his name. Uh, and as Dave Cameron does every week, uh, today Dave Cameron analyzes all baseball, incredibly time-sensitive uh, material, or not 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 entirely time-sensitive, uh, but some time-sensitive material in what follows. On Monday, of course, the Texas Rangers play host to the Tampa Bay Rays in a play-in game for the wild-card play-in game. We discussed that to some degree. We also discussed what the game after that might look like, which is the actual Wild card playing game set uh, scheduled for Wednesday uh, between the winner of uh, Tampa Bay and Texas game versus the Cleveland Indians. We look at that. We look also the Reds and the um, that other team there. You got there the, the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, in, in the National League wild card play playing game as well. Uh, but of course, uh, when when you have Dave Cameron on the ones and twos, so far as baseball analysis is concerned, uh, it's you can't just reduce it to mere topics. Uh, one needs to bear full witness to Dave Cameron in his glories. Let's do that right now. It is Fangraphs Audio. It features managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. I think I, I looked at it, too. <laughs> That's me. Wait, this is Dave Cameron, right, that I'm talking to? <laughs> it's his uh, egotistical alter ego. <laughs> oh, yeah, very good. Very good. Well, hopefully uh, hopefully your ba- your baseball analysis is as, uh, is as sharp as your looks, Dave Cameron. Uh, ho- hopefully much sharper. Yeah, because well, we, uh, we have all of baseball to analyze, and we don't <laughs> have uh, forever to do it. Right. Well, good thing I talk fast, then. Yeah, that's right. The um, uh, okay. All right. So listen. So this has happened, right? Where now we have, we have teams playing for a play-in game. That's right. That's that's what. Right. We have a play-in game that where the winner gets to go to the play-in game. Right. Yeah. And so okay. So actually, that's kind of where I want to begin. Um, <clears throat> I know that whenever uh, situations have arisen where there essentially is a need to win a game, uh, that you have. Uh, that you have advocated for a pretty aggressive approach in terms, in terms especially of um, using pitchers, uh, using relief pitchers. Yeah. Um, so, like a couple of years ago, I think you wrote, uh, wrote with regard to the All Star Game, maybe more as a thought experiment than anything else. We say this is how to pitch in the All Star Game. Uh, certainly, in in these sort of um, one game playoff situations, you've advocated. You did this the other day for the Pirates. If they're going to yeah. win the playoff game. Uh, be very aggressive. You know, you pitch Liriano once, maybe twice to the lineup, but don't go any further than that. Here's the thing about which I'm curious, though. Maybe it's a short answer. Maybe it's a longer one. If a team is trying to win a game, but then they also have to win a second game, which is like a two days later, I guess, in this case it would be, does that uh, alter – for you, does that alter how they would uh, optimize their – uh, their the deployment of pitchers. I think uh, actually, given the current schedule and what the American League teams, the same thing might be different if there's two National League teams in the playing game. But given the American League schedule, where there's the play-in game today and then the 
second play-in game on Wednesday, and then the ALDS starts on Friday, I think it actually encourages this, right? So, like, if the Tampa Bay Rays tonight ride David Price for 115 pitches in seven innings, he's not available to pitch again until Saturday, which is game two of the ALDS. If they ride him for 40 pitches or 45 pitches or something, some abbreviated outing, and then hand it over to their bullpen, and, you know, their bullpen's not as good as Pittsburgh, so maybe this isn't quite as good a plan, and David Price is a pretty good pitcher. But if they rode him for 40 or 45 you could theoretically have David Price start game one of the ALDS on Friday uh, or be, be maybe even be available out of the bullpen in the wild card game on Wednesday to where if, you, if you're going to try two win-or-go-home games, I think you want your, uh, your best shot at winning those games, and, and you'll deal with uh, kind of the long-term ramifications later. But I think having Price kind of uh, available either for Wednesday or for next Friday gives them the best chance of really advancing – deep in the playoffs, where if they ride him today and he's not available until game two of the ALDS, uh, you might be able to squeeze past these two wildcard games, but uh, I think you're going to run into a Boston team that's that's better than you, and you don't have your your rotation lined up. Uh, winning that series is going to be very difficult anyway. Okay, so I would assume, just because Tampa Bay tends to be uh, rather progressive, generally speaking, um, that they'd be disposed to doing this anyway, but is there, has there been any indication in, in practice that uh, that Tampa Bay in games like this, or you know, games where elimination is a possibility, where where Joe Madden would be would be more aggressive in in that way. I, I think it all depends on how David Price is pitching, and and I think the specific matchup is actually pretty interesting. Jeff Sullivan's writing about it right now, so it should be up on the site by the time the podcast is published. But uh, this is an interesting matchup, and David Price, you know, you're going to hear it quoted. He's never really done all that well against the Rangers. That doesn't really matter. Uh, it's not like Laundry owns David Price. Um, but this specific Rangers team, full of right-handed hitters. Their best hitter, Adrian Beltre, is a right-handed hitter. They've activated Nelson Cruz, a right-handed hitter for this game. Jeff Baker hit left-handed, uh, left-handed pitching really well this year. Their best left-handed hitters are Mitch Moreland and David Murphy and Leonis Martin. They're not very good. So I think there's some motivation for the Rays to get their right-on-right specialists into the game uh, fairly early to neutralize the likes of Beltre. Uh, and, you know, if the Rangers left-handed hitters like A.J. Pierzynski can beat them, more power to them. But I think, you know, if I'm Joe Madden, I'm probably looking forward to throwing an army of right-handers at this Rangers lineup, which is not very good from the left side. Okay, wait, a, a couple – we're going to do some nesting here in terms of tangents. Um, Nelson Cruz, you mentioned that he was – uh, he was activated for today's game. He was yeah. serving a suspension. Yeah. Now, was he serving a suspension? The number of games was uh, – was it the exact number of games that would have taken him through game 162? I believe his suspension ended yesterday. Okay. Uh, right. Johnny Peralta's ended, uh, like, Friday, so it could have been that they gave him an extra few days, but it ended very recently. Now, is Johnny Peralta back with the Detroit Tigers? He is, and he actually has spent a little bit of time playing the outfield because they now have Jose Iglesias, and so they want to get Johnny Peralta in the lineup, and they're having him play a position he's never played before, which seems like it might be an experiment in uh, failure. And well, it could be amusing. I guess actually, this is something that this is something that seems to happen in the playoffs: is that all of a sudden coaches do tend, to, in some ways, to take um, you know, especially like you know, it could be where they just have like a one game left that they absolutely have to win. They do tend to to find optimal strategies at those points where winning is an absolute necessity. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there are things that they do over the course of 162 games that aren't about maximizing that day's chance of winning. It's about keeping their roster uh, kind of sane for the rest of the year, right? And I think this is where the idea of a starting rotation comes from, is you can't bullpen way your, your way through an entire season without just everyone's arms falling off. Uh, same kind of thing where you say, okay, you know, maybe in one game that doesn't mean a ton in the regular season, I don't want to take the risk of embarrassing my shortstop by putting him in the outfield, having him do something that, uh, you know, he, he might end up on Sports Center and it might demean him, but, you know, when the payoff in the World Series is maybe Johnny Peralta doesn't have any balls hit his way and he hits a game-winning home run, then you look like a genius and you've saved your season. So I think the uh, the stakes are raised and managers are willing to take a little bit more risks in October. Okay, right. And then um, another, another thing that, that uh, I'm curious about is I, I was just um, – before we were we started talking here, I looked just at uh, David Price's splits uh, this season um, via Baseball Reference uh, um, in terms of his times to the lineup. Right. Yep. Now, <clears throat> uh, his basic, um, I guess, strikeout to walk rates are all are all pretty decent. For whatever reason, the second time through the lineup, he's given up uh, a bunch more runs. Yeah, this seems like it would have to be a random thing, especially compared to how the third time uh, he's actually pitched better. But I also imagine that there's some selection bias there. Yeah, significant selection bias, because the only time you're going to face the order third time through is if you're already pitching well. If you got bombed early on and you you know, you know didn't have your stuff or your, your command was off or the strike zone was tiny or whatever reason it was, you've already been removed and you haven't kept pitching. So I think if you actually look at the league stats, uh, starting pitchers do absolutely better the fourth time through the order than any other time, even the first time through the order, uh, which you know makes no sense, because the fourth time through the order, you're probably already over 100 pitches or getting close to it. Um, and basically what we're seeing there is, you know, Fourth time through the order, that's only Clayton Kershaw and Felix Hernandez and Justin Verlander. It's a very small sample of pitchers who are actually able to do that on a regular basis. Right. And so was there, is there something that – there must be a sort of pitcher, right, who is more prone to blow-ups, right? I guess this is at, – at a very rudimentary level, this is what the – uh, this is what the quality start is sort of meant to measure. If you have – you know, if you're a pitcher who has a high SGRA but you also have a high percentage of quality starts – relative to how many starts you've made, then maybe you're a pitcher who allows kind of the same number of runs per game. Are there pitchers, are there pitchers who are more prone to blow-ups or you know, have a greater variation start-to-start, start? and then other pitchers maybe uh, who uh, are more similar start-to-start start in terms of results? Yeah, I think the pitchers that we tend to see that tend to be pretty inconsistent are uh, pitch-to-contact pitchers, right? So these are the guys who just kind of throw the ball over the plate and say, please hit it, and uh, I hope something good happens. And the variance on outcomes on balls in play is much, much larger than the variance on, you know, trying to get strikeouts or trying to limit walks or, or trying to, you know, get ground balls and, and limit home runs. Uh, so what we see is, you know, like a pitch-to-contact guy, uh, on certain days when he's facing a bad offense or he has a generous strike zone from the umpire or uh, things just happen to go his way and his defense plays really well behind him, can throw, you know, nine really good innings, uh, you know, maybe only strike out two or three guys, but, you know, throw a complete game, look dominant, and you're like, man, that guy is fantastic. And then the next time out he's facing really good hitters and the wind's blowing out and the strike zone's small, and all of a sudden he gives up five home runs like Bronson Arroyo did on Sunday or Saturday. Uh, so I think those are the kinds of pitchers, um, and especially maybe pitch-to-contact pitchers who don't have 
pinpoint command where they're also going to walk some guys uh, occasionally. That's re- really not a great combination. And I think those are the guys where, uh, especially in an October game, I think, you know, uh, a lot of managers tend to say, well, I'm not going to remove a starting pitcher when he's doing well. But it, once you've removed him after he's not doing well, it's too late. <laughs> and, and many times and you're losing and you're not going to come back and win that game. So uh, I think part of the reason to be aggressive in the postseason is that these blowups can really come out of nowhere where your pitcher can be rolling and then all of a sudden it's, you know, walk, double, double, home run, and you're down 4 nothing. Right. Are you okay, Dave Cameron? Is there a yeah, car? Yeah, you know, it's the trash thing rolling by again. Yeah, okay, all right. This is going to be a fixture to the podcast. These are outside podcasts. They come with ambient noise. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's free. I mean, it's free. Yeah. Free for people. We're not charging them extra for ambient noise. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, so we've discussed David Price. Uh, David Price is, of course, someone who uh, who has a a uh, an impressive resume. Uh, in terms of the major leagues, uh, Martin Perez has pitched decently this year. Uh, we could say uh, perhaps something not unlike average, at least in terms of his defense independent numbers, uh, something better than that in terms of overall run prevention. Um, is this a case where is this is it theoretically almost an advantage for Texas to have a rookie or a, or perhaps at this point he's just a very young pitcher starting the game because then uh, if the hook is is quicker uh, it doesn't seem uh, or I guess there's, you're not dealing with a, an ego or uh, t- quite to the same degree as you might be uh, if you if it is David Price or, or you know with another club their star pitcher. Yeah, I think that there's something to that where Ron Washington is probably going to be more willing to get his bullpen up in the first or second inning than Joe Madden is, uh, simply because I think if David Price only goes a couple of innings, it's going to be looked at as something of a failure, and he's probably going to be pretty unhappy with himself. Uh, and, and you know, I think there's going to be um, some issues in, in the Tampa Bay clubhouse and locker room if this is a regular thing where Price gets a couple guys on base and then he gets yanked. Uh, I don't think he's going to be very happy with that, considering his own status, where... You know, with Martin Perez, he doesn't really have the credibility to say, uh, I deserve to stay out there and try and get out of my own jam. Uh, Washington can probably be a little bit more aggressive and, and say, you know what, you're 22 or 21, how old Perez is. Uh, you're not battle-tested. I'm going I'm to go to my bullpen and try and save this thing because my season's on the line. Um, whether Washington will take advantage of that kind of PR advantage uh, remains to be seen. He has been pretty aggressive with his bullpen usage in the past, uh, but, you know, I think we'll have to see. My guess is that neither manager is going to remove a pitcher until he's really in some trouble and uh, probably given up already a couple of runs. I don't think either of these managers are going to to go to the bullpen uh, when they have another deciding game two days away if they win, uh, when both their pitchers are throwing shutouts or only allowed a run or two. All right. So we have uh, uh, so here uh, looking over the playoff odds at uh, Fangraphs at the site. We see that uh, the Rays have a 49.7% chance of winning the wild card, uh, and and the um, the Rangers have a 50.3. Uh, that's one estimate, and um, you know it's based off of what simulation, I guess. Uh, perhaps that that doesn't even take into account that the Rangers uh, have home field advantage. Perhaps it does. Uh, it does, yeah. It does. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah right. okay. Well, I guess you yeah. would know, yeah, because you yeah. are the managing editor of Fangraphs. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, one of your jobs to know that. Um, <laughs> it, does that seem like, you know, does that seem like a, a pretty accurate representation of, of what we're about to see? 
Yeah, I think if you look at it, Tampa Bay is probably a slightly better team than Tampa Bay, uh, than Texas, but the game is in Texas, so that basically neutralizes the very slight advantage that uh, resides in, in Tampa Bay. I think it, you know these what these numbers don't factor in are the starting pitchers. So uh, I think if you look at David Price versus Martin Perez, and you played uh, Tampa Bay versus Texas in all of these games, and Price started against Perez every single time, I think the winning percentage for Tampa Bay would be significantly higher. So if we were going to adjust for the actual quality of pitcher in the game, uh, I think you're probably looking at maybe more like 60-40 for, t- for Tampa Bay, uh, 55-45, something like that. It's not going to be dramatic. It's not going to swing to 75-25 or something. But David Price versus Martin Perez certainly tilts it slightly more towards advantage Tampa Bay than those numbers will suggest. All right. All right. Uh, so that's that. Uh, now, if one of those teams we'll, – we'll get to the National League in a moment. Um, and I think that you and I might be doing more than one episode of the podcast this week. Uh, so there's no need to look very, very far into the future. Uh, but the winner of this, of course, plays – Cleveland, a Cleveland team that um, actually maybe not that surprisingly has won a lot of games of late. Um, it actually, because of the way their schedule was distributed, uh, they actually they had a lot of easy opponents. Uh, now credit to them, they took care of it, but um, it, perhaps not shocking that they took uh, that they won so many games uh, later on just because because of the way their schedule was arranged. Yeah, and I think what you really meant to say is it's not shocking if they won a bunch of games because they have both Danny Salazar and Corey Kluber. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, it's a strange thing. We, we mentioned this last time, right? But uh, besides Salazar and Kluber, of course, doing well. I mean, Casimir, uh, um, Scott Casimir ended the season very well, and Ubaldo Jimenez has is, been amazing. <laughs> has been amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, Jimenez's turnaround is maybe the least expected in-season turnaround I can remember in quite some time. Because he was really quite not good last year. Uh, and the first half of the season, he showed flashes, I guess, from start to start, but like never really looked like he was getting back to the Abaldo Jimenez of Colorado days for him. And then in the second half of the season, he turned into Cy Young. Well, yeah, because like 13 strikeouts is not even... Is not even that's not even the, the, the very good Obaldo Jimenez from before. I mean, he maybe had a, I don't know if he had a game or two, but I feel like I feel like he was not necessarily a huge strikeout machine. Uh, he maybe had some ground ball tendencies, and um, I don't know what else he did. Yeah, I mean, he was a he got some strikeouts, but he was a very heavy ground ball guy in Colorado, uh, and you know he seems to be shifting more towards more strikeouts and fewer ground balls in Cleveland. Uh, but I think the the odd thing is, you know, we've seen this a little bit with Tim Lincecum when a guy like has a little bit of strange mechanics and loses a lot of velocity. It seems like we all just jump off the bandwagon and say, this guy's broken and can't be fixed. Scott Casimir is also a pretty decent example of this. Uh, maybe the Indians have figured out how to or at least uh, somewhat help guys with broken mechanics and missing velocity uh, turn into something that they weren't earlier in their career. Um, because this is now two guys who are basically not given up for dead, but you know were a shell of their former selves that the uh, Indians now are going to front their playoff rotation with. Right, and um, and they do have now they do have Danny Salazar uh, scheduled to start this game, but I assume that this is uh, a situation not unlike. Well, first of all, if I could say, do you hear pots and pans in the background? I I just did. Yeah, you just did. Your, you just did. Your, yeah, that was yeah. Wife about to attack you with a skillet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's going to be some some physical assault uh, going <laughs> on. No, it's just the, the place where we live. Um, I I'm both. I'm in the bedroom, but also the office and also the kitchen simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, right. You are in the room, right? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in a room and the room. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, so this is a little bit perhaps like the Martin Perez situation for Cleveland, though, uh, um, as regards the wild card, the wild card playing game. 
we have a pitcher here who um, not only not only is manager Terry Francona likely to feel more comfortable taking him out. He has done that uh, yeah. over the course of Danny Salazar's uh, you know sort of brief stint in the major leagues. Yeah, I think they were really working hard to limit his regular season workload in that I think a lot of teams didn't really want to follow the Steven Strasburg shutdown model, right, where you didn't want to get to the postseason on the strength of your young pitching and then not have them in October. So I think the Indians have been very careful with Salazar because they don't want to have to pull him after two or three innings at every start in the playoffs. I think, you know, if he's throwing well, they're going to let him go five or six. I don't think they'll let him go seven very often, especially in the postseason in a winner-take-all game. I think, you know, five or six is probably the line for – any non-Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer uh, type of pitcher. Um, but I do think that they'll let him go a little bit further uh, while he's pitching well. Uh, again, same caveat earlier applies is you can be pitching well and fall apart pretty quickly. Right. And now and now, here's an interesting question, too, or something about which I'm genuinely curious, which is some of this other stuff I'm only, I'm only curious uh, for pretend sake. Uh, Justin Masterson, how how is the club? First of all, Justin Masterson was like the good pitcher on the on the team yeah, entering right. the season and yeah. kind of for the beginning of the season. And yeah. uh, now he hasn't been around for a bit, uh, but he's back. Uh, he pitched in relief. He closed that game. He closed out that game. He didn't get the save, but he closed out uh, Cleveland's last game of the season. How does the how does the team plan on utilizing him? And again, is this a situation where maybe a talented pitcher whose role has been upset a little bit could ultimately have uh, be of some be of some advantage to that club yeah i think there's maybe not bigger you can't predict baseball story this year than the fact that justin masterson's going to basically pitch in the bullpen uh for the indians and their starting pitching is their strength like if you you put those two things together and say justin masterson is a reliever and the indians starting pitching carried them to the playoffs uh, it doesn't make any sense six months ago, but that's kind of where we're at. I do think it's going to be interesting to see how they use Masterson uh, in light of Chris Perez's terrible second half, and I mean atrocious. He's given up seven home runs and 27 innings in the second half of the season. Uh, opponents are slugging 600 off of him over the last couple of months, which is not what you want in a closer. Uh, yeah, you know, I think Chris terrible. Perez is... <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Uh, I think Chris Perez is, you know, better than his more recent numbers, but he's never been a true, like, relief ace dominating ninth inning guy. He's always had some command problems, never had huge strikeout numbers. Uh, he's basically survived through a low batting average on balls in play, and now lately he's getting torched. Um, so I think, you know, there's an opportunity there for Masterson to maybe take the ninth inning role and for Perez to be displaced as the closer if he blows a save early in the playoffs. Uh, but the Indians are probably better off if Masterson can go multiple innings, uh, kind of bridge the gap, and then Perez gets these easy three-run saves. But if you're if you're Tito Francona and you've got a one-run lead and you've got to choose between Justin Masterson and Chris Perez, I, I think you're going with Justin Masterson. Well, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, it's again, we sort of mentioned this earlier, like when your job begins to depend on it, or not necessarily a job, but... When, the season. The, right, the season and when and when the when the stakes are are that are that high... Uh, managers will, managers will do crazy things. I mean, we, we, this this happened last year with um, Jose it, Valverde. With, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So so yeah. So with Jose Valverde, what did Detroit do with him? 
so basically he blew a save against uh, New York in the first round of the playoffs, and they finally, after six months or a couple of years of watching him be pretty mediocre, they said, ah, we're not going to trust you with one run lead in the ninth inning anymore. And they turned to a closer by committee with Phil Koch going against left-handers and uh, Joaquin Benoit against right-handers, and they basically mixed and matched, and Valverde kind of just got displaced from their from their bullpen, and they got to the World Series that way. And I think, uh, you know, going into the postseason, they kind of knew Valverde was suspect, and it took one chance for him to blow it, and uh, he lost his job. I think Perez is in a similar situation where, you know, one bad outing, maybe not even a blown save, maybe just he puts a few guys on base and has to get lifted before someone else bails him out, and I don't think they're going to trust him with a closing job anymore. And we also saw that, did we see something similar to this last year with the Yankees, right, where they uh, they tried to ride the Ra- Raul Ibanez bandwagon all the way to the play- through the playoffs? Yeah, I don't know how that's similar. I missed the segue. Just sense that uh, for some reason a coach can become enamored of one player's skills, whether justifiably or not, uh, and and perhaps uh, deploy an entirely different uh, batting lineup than he might have otherwise throughout the regular season. Yeah, I mean, there certainly Raul Abanez got some playing time uh, that maybe wasn't deserved based on his historical performance. But I think there was a, a little bit of an underlying factor there in that Alex Rodriguez apparently had like nine holes in his hip that none of us knew. And so they didn't have a totally healthy roster at the time. But yeah, I mean, Joe Girardi certainly rode Raul Abanez's hot hand after he had a couple of big home runs uh, in a way that you could argue he should not have done. Okay, all right. All right. So there's good and bad to it. Um, all right, so that's uh, that's that. Um uh, any glaring omissions thus far, uh, what, what we've considered? Uh, well, I think if we're um, kind of only talking about the American League, then then no, we've done a decent job. You know, we've totally ignored the fact that the Pirates and Reds play tomorrow for a uh, yeah, winner-take-all game. But yeah, I guess, yeah, you know. I'm getting there. I'm getting okay, there. Okay, well, well, you asked us if there's any omissions. We've skipped half the leagues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've spent all, yeah, of all the leagues, we've skipped half of them. That's a good point. <laughs> the uh, Well, let's address that. Um uh, we have a situation where both those, both these teams, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, uh, have known, or I should say all of these teams, if we want to keep going uh, uh, as far as that's concerned, um, both these teams have known they're going to be in this game for, oh, I guess, a little, what, a couple weeks now almost. Um, they don't necessarily know where they were going to play it. Uh, it's been decided, of course, that it'll be played in Pittsburgh. But have they have they been uh, – looking at the pitchers here, I see Johnny Cueto versus Francisco Liriano. Those sound basically like the team's two best pitches. You can make a case for Burnett for Pittsburgh, I suppose, uh, and Homer Bailey perhaps for Cincinnati. Uh, but have these sort of been uh, have these been set up? I guess as it were, have they been um, have they sort of planned to have these guys uh, available to start this game? No, I think uh, Cincinnati had their druthers. They'd be throwing Matt Latos uh, tomorrow, but he's had some bone chips hanging out in his elbow and has complained that he's been pitching through pain recently. So he's unavailable for the game. Period. He won't even pitch out of the. He won't even be on the roster. They're not going to use him out of the bullpen or anything. So uh, Johnny Cueto is kind of the fill-in for Latos, uh, and uh, I think they're they're hoping that Latos will be back to the division series if they happen to win the game against Pittsburgh tomorrow. Um, but I think Cincinnati's at a little bit of a disadvantage here uh, because Liriano, as we wrote about last week, is a perfect fit for this Pirates uh, or for the Reds offense where their three best hitters are all left-handed and have pretty significant platoon splits and Liriano's death of left-handers. Cueto, uh, you know, is, is certainly a good pitcher, um, but, you know, he's had some significant injury problems and maybe more alarmingly, he's had to leave games kind of without notice. Uh, several times this year they've had him start a game and, you know, three, four, five batters in, he's been done. 
and he decided to walk off the mound and say, I can't keep pitching. Uh, so if you're starting Johnny Cueto, I think you basically have to have uh, Homer Bailey or Mike Leake, probably Homer Bailey if it's a win or go home game, uh, warming up in the bullpen, or maybe not, maybe not throwing, but at least like stretched and ready to go on a minute's notice where if Cueto has to ask out of the game, you've got a, a pretty good arm ready to come in. Uh, you know, I think in the Reds case, they've got some uncertainty here where with the Pirates, they can basically plan for however innings they want, however many innings they want from Liriano and then go to their bullpen where the Reds are kind of like Cueto until he just says he can't do it anymore and then we'll patch it together. How many, how many innings would you, if you are, uh, Dusty Baker, well, no, not if you're Dusty Baker, if you're Dave Cameron, <laughs> but you're just for some reason the manager of the Reds. Uh, how many, how many innings are you willing to throw Araldis Chapman in a game like this? I think I'm probably, I, more so than innings, I'm looking for outs, right? So I think I would probably say, uh, I want to get five or five outs probably from Rolls Chapman. Six if you're, you know, depending on the, the matchups. I think six is probably pushing it. Uh, because I think you have to expect, you know, they're going to give up some base runners. Uh, so if you're asking six outs, you're probably facing eight or nine base runners or, uh, or eight or nine batters faced. Uh, at four batters face per routing, that's, you know, 32, 35 pitches. That's a lot for any reliever. So I think I'm probably aiming more for five outs, uh, six. Um, you know, it's absolutely necessary, and I don't trust anyone else in the bullpen, but probably more like five. Okay, all right. Yeah, he just seems like a sort of – because obviously there's been talk of him in the past uh, about, you know, questions about him becoming a starter, in fact. I, I guess at the same time, though, uh, he's not stretched out, and therefore uh, there could be questions about his success after pitch X or whatever. Yeah, I think uh, also what we saw is when he was getting stretched out in spring training, he was throwing like 91. <laughs> I mean, Rolls Chapman as like guy trying to sustain himself over longer outings threw 10 miles an hour slower than he does as a reliever who only has to throw 20, 25 pitches at a time. So, uh, you know, you might say, okay, well, Rolls Chapman can go get me 15 outs if I need him to, but, uh, you know, it's probably not going to be anything like the Rolls Chapman where he's just saying in one inning stints. Right. Now, uh, you mentioned the, uh, I, I guess the the lefty heaviness of, of the uh, Cincinnati Reds, those uh, uh, Chu, uh, Votto, Bruce. Um, it, the, I guess this is a thing that can happen, right? When you when it comes down to specific matchups, as you know, you you play all season uh, to get into the playoffs or into a game like this, uh, and then it happens that you face a team that has Francisco Liriano. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why teams try to build balanced lineups, and you see, like, you know, uh, the the Giants just re-signed Hunter Pence, and, and one of the reasons it's given for it is they needed right-handed power. There's not a lot of right-handed power available in free agency this winter. This is the kind of hitter that you kind of want to have on your team if you're facing Francisco Liriano in the playoffs, and it seems like, for whatever reason, right-handed power has gotten a little more scarce in the game over the last few years. Um, so I think it's driving up the prices for guys like Pence because the Reds don't really have a guy in their lineup who scares a Liriano. I mean, they're probably going to hit Brandon Phillips and Ryan Ludwig in some order between two and four to split up the lefties. But if you're Francisco Liriano, you're not really all that scared to see Ryan Ludwig in a playoff game. I mean, this is not a guy who's going to cause you to nibble and pitch around the corners. And even Todd Frazier, who's another option to maybe hit in one of those spots, uh, you know, not a, an amazingly great right-handed hitter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for the Reds, I think this is uh, a, a disadvantage for them and one of the reasons why uh, teams try not to build lineups that are, that are heavily skewed toward either the left or right side. Now, uh, uh, referencing the playoff odds again, uh, of course, this is a game being played in Pittsburgh. Uh, 52.8% precisely uh, for Pittsburgh, 47.2% uh, for 
Cincinnati, that's essentially a home field advantage being accounted for, maybe a, maybe a little bit uh, less than home field advantage. Does this strike you as right? In, in it? But, of course, with the caveat that uh, this does not take uh, pitching matchups into account. Yeah, I think if you were if you're going to take Liriano and Cueto into account, it probably slightly pushes it in the Pirates' favor. But again, I think this is very close. The Reds are a very good team. The Pirates have probably overachieved this year. Uh, and if you were going to say, you know, which team that got to October is least likely to be able to sustain what they did in the regular season, Pittsburgh's probably at the top of that list. So I think this is basically a coin flip matchup. Uh, both teams are are very good. Both teams can win. I think it very likely is going to come down to uh, which team's bullpen uh, performs better. Uh, Jason Grilly and Mark Melanson and these guys were very good for a while. Uh, as of late, Grilly's had some problems since coming off the DL. Uh, you know, whether the Pirates bullpen can do what it did early in the season. Sorry, that's a school bus. Uh, more more opiate noises. Uh, so uh, I think if the Pirates bullpen can do what it did early in the season, I would give them a significant advantage. Uh, the fact that their bullpen's been a little bit of a question mark lately uh, maybe evens things up. Uh, and of course, uh, if you if you were were to guess, um, do you think Billy Hamilton does or does not make an appearance in this game against Pittsburgh Pirates? If he doesn't, the Reds are doing something wrong. I know they're like talking about how they're not sure he's going to be on the playoff roster. That's ridiculous. Uh, you know, there's no way in a one-game playoff where you don't have to carry uh, extra starting pitchers, and so you basically have three bench spots or bullpen spots that you don't have room for a pinch runner who's you know maybe the best pinch runner and the the best base runner in baseball right now. Uh, if you can find 25 more valuable players than Billy Hamilton, you have the best team of all time. So. Uh, he absolutely is going to be on the roster. He's absolutely going to appear, and he's absolutely going to try and steal a base. I think Billy, uh, uh, let's see, Jeff Sullivan, of course, Fangraph's writer, Jeff Sullivan's ratio of, um, the, or presently I should say, the ratio of Billy Hamilton stolen bases to Jeff Sullivan articles about Billy Hamilton stealing bases, or at least attending to steal bases, about maybe like four to one. Yeah, there's, right? there's a very high correlation between Billy Hamilton appearing in a game and Jeff Sullivan writing about him the next day. And, yeah. you know, I think uh, Jeff emailed me and was like, I'm conscious of the fact that I don't want to write about Billy Hamilton too much, but I have more things to write about him. And I told him to knock himself out because I think people really like reading about, about Billy Hamilton. He's fun. Right. Or people would like Jeff to knock himself out. Um, yeah, well, that, that would also be a thing that we might do in a live blog. The, uh, do you, but do you, could, do you see that, that um, ratio – uh, being preserved about about four to one uh, over the course uh, of Hamilton's career, say. Uh, I would say it's unlikely. I think at some point we're just going to there's going to be diminishing returns in which it does not well, any longer make sense to write about every Billy Hamilton stolen base. Uh, we haven't reached that point yet, though. Okay, and then um, what is your well? Just one last question for you: Where is your preemptive outrage at right now in terms of uh, you know say? Uh, Zero, zero to ten. Your preemptive outrage about uh, Mike Trout probably not winning the MVP award. Uh, one. I um, mean, I, I basically, uh, I was going to say blew my load, but that would not be a family-friendly <laughs> yeah. podcast. Uh, I, I extolled all my anger last year. It wasn't even anger. I, I said everything I had to say about the MVP last year. This year, it's inevitable that Cabrera's going to win again. Uh, I do not think that it is the right decision. At the same time. Uh, there are a lot of things in life that I can't control that I do not think are the right thing that I do not get angry about. This has become one of those. All right. All right. Hey, this has been a, a remarkably dense uh, edition of the podcast. Um, 
don't know what's going on. <laughs> Something must be wrong. <laughs> um, but I'll uh, hopefully, uh, I'll t- uh, with regard to my future self, hopefully I've gotten it up uh, before the game tonight starts. Yeah, in, in the phrase, in the, in the span of like a minute, we just used the phrase, it was blow my load and got it up. I just like to point that out. <laughs> you're the one doing it. It's not. <laughs> I'm just saying, you're the one who made the second comment. Yeah, but, but uh, p- perfectly innocuous, Adam, uh, the, way yeah, right. was, uh, <laughs> the way I said it. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, thank you, uh, thank you, Dave Cameron, for, for joining us. We'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll bang out another one of these before the end of the week, I guess. I see what you're doing there, Carson. <laughs> Um, that's what she said. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's uh, that's. Uh, thank you, Dave Cameron. Just say thanks thank and be done with it. <laughs> thank you. And that's also what she said bizarrely. <laughs> and that's Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs. Uh, I'm Carson Stooley. This is Big Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.